Amen. <clears throat> hey, once again, we're in world religions, cults, and the occult Bobby. It's number 13 called Charismatic Chaos. Why is it chaos? Because there's something going on. It's called CSI Investigation at Sunrise Bible Church. The untold history of the charismatic movement. And dare I say that most charismatics don't even understand their own history, okay? But we've already seen basically an intro in our first study and basically where we're going to go, kind of a shot across the bow with some of the aberrant behavior. Again, I'm not here to poke people in the eye. I'm not saying that everybody that's a charismatic is involved in a cult. I'm not saying that everybody that's a charismatic is uh, even practicing occult techniques, okay? Necessarily so. But there's so much aberrant stuff coming out of this that we got to deal with this certainly today. Then if you were here last week, we saw that, you know, this charismatic movement, this kind of moving around all this stuff, and there's nothing new because that's part of the premise we saw. is like, well, you don't understand. This is just a new movement of God in the last days. Was it new? Absolutely not. We saw that it actually started with a guy named Montanus after the death of the last, of the first, uh, the last apostle, the apostle John. And shortly after that, what's the premise? The whole premise is that you can get a new word of God outside of what? The actual Word of God, the Bible. That's the danger. And it, I don't think it uh, is by chance that right after the death of the first apostle, here comes a movement, okay, leading people away from the Scripture, okay? As we saw, it even goes further back because Montanus, before he supposedly converted to Christianity, what was he involved in? He was involved as a, a priest of Apollo and Sybil, okay, of those. And what did they do? Same kind of behavior in the Greco-Roman world. So technically, it even goes further back then the second century, Montanus, the early church, the apostolic fathers, that time frame, it goes even further back to the Greco-Roman world. So basically, we dispel the myth that the charismatic movement is nothing new. What did Solomon say? What was our opening text? Nothing new under the sun. It's just been repackaged, rehashed, relabeled, and people are falling for it today. Now, I want to deal with another one. I want to dispel another myth uh, that is prominent in the charismatic movement. And that is basically the gift of tongues. See, because you already know. The biggest thing that they want to promote typically is tongues. Now, it's nothing new. And, it's, and what they really promote as the supposed gift of tongues is really gibberish. And so we're going to take a look at that tonight. Now, we're probably going to have a whole study, probably several studies on all the gifts mentioned in the Scripture. Lord willing, we're going to tear them apart. We'll probably look again at this gift of tongues. But what I mainly want to dispel again, just like we did last time, this is nothing new in their behavior, but it's also nothing new in this gibberish that is being touted as the biblical gift called the speaking in tongues. Okay, And what we're going to see is basically when you read the Bible, what a concept. Okay, uh, The gift of tongues has always been, if it's legitimate, even in the scriptural days, obviously, is a known language. It has never, no, never, ever, absolutely not ever been gibberish. But we'll see where that gibberish came from. But open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. And let's begin that journey. What is this thing called the gift of tongues, right? And this is where you should start because Acts chapter 2 is the beginning of the church. And this is where that gift, that supernatural gift from God, first occurred. Okay? And so that's doing proper exegesis of the Scripture. What does the Bible have to say? Here's the first occurrence. And from the very first occurrence, you're going to see clearly there's no such thing as gibberish. Okay? So let's take a look at that. Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11. <clears throat> Here's what it says. Now when the day of Pentecost came, right? this is the birth of the church here, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wing came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be 
tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as what? The Spirit enabled them. Now, they were, uh, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from how many? Every nation under heaven. Okay, when, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking what? Complete gibberish. He was going, what's that? That makes no sense to me. What's it say? His own what? Language. So right out, and I'm not done yet. Right out of the gates, the legitimate gift of tongues or languages has always been a what? Known language. I mean, we're just reading Bible, right? Okay. But continue on. Utterly amazed, they ask, "Man, are, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans, you know, basically a vernacular today? Are you kidding me? These are people who grew up in the backwoods of Arkansas. How how, how come all of a sudden they know a multitude of languages, not gibberish?" And then if you doubt that, just keep reading. Then how is it that each of us hears them in our what? Own native language. And then he breaks down the different languages from the different countries. Known language through and through every single time. The language of the Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and uh, Asia. And who? Remember last week? Phrygia. There's Phrygia. Right? And Pamphylia. Right? Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God. Again, he says it in what? In our own tongues or languages. In fact, let me break it down for you because there's two different Greek words that are used interchangeably uh, throughout that. Uh, verse 3, it says there, they seem what seem to be tongues of fire. Okay, it's the Greek word. Let me get that in there for you. It's the Greek word glossa. Can you guess what English word we get from that? Glossa read. Okay, and basically glossa simply means language. And you go, well, why would they translate it tongue? Well, haven't you ever heard the phrase, hey, he's speaking in his mother tongue? What's that mean? Language. It's the same thing, right? It's always, but it's language. See, I think there's big confusion going on today because with all due respect, with the charismatic movement, when they say tongue, we're thinking it's just, well, it's a gibberish thing that you hear those people do. It's just kind of weird. It's never been that. It's glossa, glossalia. It means tongue, language. That's all it is, mother tongue, like that. Now, that's just verse 3. Uh, verse 4, all of them were filled with the Spirit and began to speak in other glossa, tongues, languages. Again, languages. So when you see tongues, switch it for language, because that's really what it is. It's true to the context and the there. Now, go to verse 6 here. It says, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard speaking in his own language. Now, that is not glossa, okay? That is dia, uh, uh, kletos, okay, as in dialect. What's a dialect? It's a particular language to a particular people, but it's still a known language, right? So you're still dealing with that. Then you go down to verse 8. Then how is it that each of us hears this in our own native dikletos, right? Dialect, particular language, right? And then finally, 11, uh, it says, They're Cretans, Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own glossa, tongues, language, right? So the biblical gift, we're just dealing with the text, we don't even really need to go into the original Greek, but I want you to show you there's nothing weird going on contextually and scripturally and in the actual biblical language. Every single time, the legitimate gift of tongues really is the gift of language. A what language? Known language. It has never been gibberish. And see, that's the problem. You look at the charismatic movement. Again, I'm not here to poke them in the eye, but they elevate this gift. But again, what they're really elevating is gibberish. And that's never been the biblical gift. Now, let me give you an example. 
of this, of what we're being touted as the gift of languages. Okay? And basically how the template goes is you do a lot of music for quite a while. And, uh, you know, apparently skip this. Get into the scripture. Bible reading. Okay, serious study. And you, and you get moving, supposedly in the spirit. And I'll see, we'll see Lord willing tonight if we get that far. Maybe a different kind of spirit. You get into an altered state of consciousness, but be, whatever. But basically the format is you go with music for quite some time, then all of a sudden everybody's supposed to calm down for a little bit, and then supposedly the Spirit of God moves, and then people will start doing gibberish. Now let me give you a typical scenario of what is being touted to you and I with all due respect. Of Remember what they say, that we need to do this. This is more spiritual than what we do. Right, but let's take a look at that example tonight.
day and be filled afresh with the new wine of the Holy Ghost. Rise up this day and oh, sepala manama erepe eribo oh, koridiesta oh, refiedaha oh, repasianama to drink, 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 to drink. O Sikaya, we drink parombo, mendebre feviva, ambrosto cora della brevivia. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We're not worried what other people think. No, uh -huh. doesn't matter what they think. Oh, no borodiesta pataliado. Oh, le beve di apasciadopre. In a man, man, no bongo, no bongema. May name on bori be a casti a telesoso. No Bible study. And apparently that's what we need to do to grow up as a Christian. And uh, is that kind of behavior. Sad. Now, uh, notice, uh, did you see the guy using his hand on the forehead and stuff? What we'll get into later once we start tearing down a lot of these other practices, supposedly slaying the spirit, things of that nature. The Hindu gurus do that. And the Hindus, uh, gurus, I believe it's called uh, Shatki Pat. And that's what the Hindu gurus, which obviously is not Christian, that they do with the transfer of their spirit, right? And people even, they fall backwards. They supposedly have these feelings of euphoria, but it ain't the spirit of God. So nothing new under the sun. But there at the end, what were those guys? What, what language was that? It was gibberish, guys. There was no, no, it's not a known language period of any kind. It's making it up. And, I, it, and to me, if you've ever been around that, that atmosphere, <clears throat> it's very repetitive. And I'm going, okay, if that's really the Holy Spirit, first of all, it's supposed to be a language, number one. Number two, um, you think the Holy Spirit would come up with something different than the same thing over and over again. And then the guy was to drink, to drink, to drink. To, was the Holy Spirit stutter? I mean, what's going on here? I think you're just trying to make this stuff up as you go, because that's what it is. Okay? And again, this is being touted as something that you and I need to be a part of. Now, there's a couple excuses. We're going to get into this even more detail when we have studies just on the gifts. I'm just trying to dispel the myth that this is a new movement of God and this gibberish is the way to go. It's not. Okay. Now, one thing that they'll say is, well, see, the reason why it sounds strange, the reason why it's not a known language, maybe you got us on that one, even though the scripture says what? If it's legit, it's got to be a what? A known language. I'm just reading Bible. Right? Okay. But they'll say, no, no, no. You see, this is a heavenly language. Anybody ever heard that one before? That's the excuse. Okay. Right? Now let's let's talk about that. Now, basically, what they're trying to refer to is when Paul talks about the gifts, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He talks about the gifts. If we get there, we're going to read that opening text at the end. Then, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, he deals with the gift of languages. And he deals with the Corinthians abusing that gift. Okay, Not commending them for it, abusing them. Understand that. But smack dab between 12 and 14 is 13. And he's basically saying, oh, by the way, you're missing the whole point. You guys are doing this all for show. It's being abused. It's not even legit. Okay. And then uh, I'm going to tell you that it's all for nothing if, because the gifts are for the edification of the body. And if you don't love, you're nothing. That's the whole context. The 1 Corinthians 13, the, what we call the love chapter, Paul wrote in between the gifts and the abuse of the tongues. 
You see what he's doing? He's saying that the heart of it is for the edification of the body. It's not for you. It's not for show. It's not to draw attention. It's not for yourself. All that God gives us is for love, to love one another, to build one another up. And if you're not doing that, you're wasting your time. But, but 1 Corinthians 13, here's what they want to say. that Well, the reason why it sounds so like gibberish is not language. It's a heavenly language. And they want to try to pull it out of 1 Corinthians 13. And I quote, if I speak in the tongues, languages of men or of angels, but keep reading, Paul says, but I have not love. I'm only a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. Again, they just completely take it out of the context, number one. But they want to say, well, see, right there it says, uh, you know, uh, there's an angelic language. And that's what this is. It's a heavenly language. And that's why you can't understand it. Well, first of all, that's not at all what Paul is saying. First of all, there is no verbiage there in the Scripture, heavenly language. They're trying to take that out of this passage here that talks about that. Second of all, uh, Paul is basically not even saying that at all. When Paul speaks of the tongues of men, he's referring to the legitimate gift, the gift of languages that we just saw there. But when he speaks of the tongue of angels, he's not literally speaking of a heavenly language. Paul is using hyperbole to make a point. I don't care if you say it's from men. I don't care if you say it's just this eloquent language from angels. If you don't love, you're nothing. In fact, what do you say? You're a clanging, cymbal, noisy gong. What? <laughs> He's basically calling out the gibberish. And yet you want to pull out of that and say this is what gibberish is supposed to be. This heavenly language. Paul is saying that no matter how gifted one may be, whether in his own language, foreign languages, or the hypothetical, is using hyperbole, language of angels, if it is without love, it's a waste of time. In fact, without love, one speech is no better than the useless babble of pagan religions. And that's exactly what's going on. The pagan culture of Corinth honored their gods in a ritualistic ceremony accompanied by, listen, loud musical instruments such as gongs and cymbals and trumpets. Their worship, listen, was a chaotic cacophony. What do we just watch? A chaotic cacophony. That was the thing that Paul was speaking against. You're acting like the pagans. That's what pagans do in their so-called worship. But then somehow in the middle of that, they want to take a verse out of it and say, no, that's why it's the way it is. Complete abuse of the Scripture. Speaking in tongues is probably best understood, again, as having divine eloquence. Again, Paul's using hyperbole. And uh, he's basically, again, he's saying that, that if you had the ability to speak with the skill of the greatest men of all time, uh, or even with angelic eloquence, again, if it's not love, it's a waste of time. To suggest that Paul implies that the tongue of angels is a, quote, heavenly language, which is supposedly supposed to explain gibberish, is a complete abuse of what the Scripture is actually saying. And I'll say this, okay, um, all right, let's just go back to angels. Angels are all over the Bible. Angels are real. There's holy angels from God. There's unholy angels that work for Satan, i.e. demons, right? But when angels appear on the scene, Old and New Testament, Angels do speak to people. And what do people hear from those angels? A bunch of gibberish? What? It's always a known language. So it's, even that falls apart. Angels speak in a known language. Okay, but that's Paul again is just using hyperbole. Okay, so the question I have then is, okay, well, you guys are doing this thing. You're trying to say it's a complete, that's not what the scripture says. It's always been a known language, but you keep pushing this. You want to pull scripture out of context and give an excuse as to why it makes no sense and say that somehow it's spiritual, that's not even what Paul is saying. Well, where does it come from? Where does this gibberish come from? 
Well, we're going to see just a little bit tonight that, again, it's nothing new. Guess who also speaks not in known languages? That's the biblical one. The cults do this. The occult does this. Okay, you got spiritism does this. Shamanism, witchcraft. They all speak in not languages, but gibberish. Interesting. Okay. In fact, let me give you some of that uh, uh, proof tonight. In fact, in fact, there's been actual linguistics, people who study this, this is their life, and they've studied this, and they said this is carte blanche, this gibberish that's being passed off to you and I in the Protestant church, in the charismatic movement, as a legitimate gift. He says this is completely straight out of the occult. Listen to this, okay? In 1972, William Samarin, he's a linguist from the University of Toronto, he published an assessment of the Pentecostal supposed gift of tongue, right? The gibberish thing. And uh, his assessment was based on a large sample of actual people doing this, okay? We saw just a little bit of it, recorded in public and private Christian meetings all over the world. So he had a major big giant sampling, right? Now, he found that this so-called speech, supposed language, this gibberish, Okay, uses accent, rhythm, intonation, and pauses to break up the speech into distinct units, listen, taken from a language known to the speaker. Can I translate that for you? He said with his research, what they're doing is taking their own language, you just saw two guys doing it, the English language, and what did they do? They turned it into gibberish. He says that's what it is. Right? Now, he says they got various uh, pitch and volume and speed and intensity but the sounds are taken from a set of sounds already known to the speaker, and this is confirmed by others. So they're taking a known language and turn it into gibberish, right? He also found that the resemblance of human language was merely on the surface. He says this is only a facade of language, what they're doing. In other words, a fake one. They're making it up, okay? Now, another researcher, Felicitas Goodman, studied a number of Pentecostal communities in the United States, but also in the Caribbean and Mexico, and uh, concluded that what she found was the recordings, listen, they were the same as, quote, non-Christian rituals of Africa, Borneo, Indonesia, and even Japan. She took into account both the segmental structure, the sounds and syllables, the rhythm, the accent included. Listen, there was no distinction what was being practiced by, quote, the Pentecostal Protestants and the followers of other religions. The gibberish comes from the occult and other religions that are not Christian. That's the source of it. In fact, it goes even further back. We already saw, remember last week if you were here, who also did the gibberish? Remember Pythia? Remember, remember in the priestess with the Apollo and Sybil? They were getting their, it was called ecstatic speech, just gibberish. They get worked up, whether it be the gas coming up from the crack in the ground or whatever. Remember that? They did the same thing. Are they Christian? Absolutely not. Okay, and that's what we see there. Now, uh, again, in the Greco-Roman world, okay, back then, it was they were given the people who could do this, like the Pythia, the so-called prophetesses, that had a word for the people, right? They were given high status. People looked up to them, like, wow, they're really spiritual. We need to pay attention to them because they could do this gibberish thing, and because they believed that they were prophesying, and it was a sign of a, quote, divine spirit possession that gave them the ability to utter these words, which they said was, quote, direct quote, an insane mouth. 
right? This is coming from these mystery religions, right? Back then, they said the people were doing this because the divine gods, which would be demons, this is a sign of full possession. I'm not saying everybody that does this to end the charismatic movement is possessed, okay? But, and by the way, you can't be possessed with a demon if you're a Christian. We'll probably get into that later as well. We already dealt with that our 30-week spiritual studies. If you haven't seen it yet, you can watch it. Uh, but we'll probably deal with it again in this context. But they said that's a sign that they're fully possessed when they started to speak this insane mouth. Basically gibberish. Folks, it's, and then somehow today, it's a new movement of God. No, it's a heavenly language. That's why you can't understand it. That's why it doesn't make sense. No, I don't think so. Right? Other religious groups have been observed with the same kind of gibberish. Uh, most commonly, paganism, shamanism, and quote, mediumistic religious practices. Those are people who do get inhabited with spirits and they take over the vocal cords and they speak through. My personal theory, my personal experience, most of the people that are doing this, it's made up. And I'll put a high number on it. I think, I don't know, 95, 98%. You know why? Because sister so-and-so and brother so-and-so, that's how they heard them do it. As we're going to see if we make it that far in the study, that's how they were taught how to do it. But wait a second, if this is the Holy Spirit, why do you need to be taught? Right? And, and so it's learned behavior, I would put that. But it's learned behavior to just basically take your known language, in our case, English, and start speaking gibberish. I really think that is. However, I think as we progress and we get into the major aberrant behavior, as we saw at the little teaser at the beginning, the first study, I think there is a spirit involved, but it ain't the spirit of God. And I do think that one is demonic. Now listen to this. Put the nail in the coffin. Medical science has even studied these people supposedly speaking in tongues, but it's the gibberish. Listen. Neuroimaging of brain activity during this gibberish does not show activity in the language areas of the brain. That's a direct quote. That's secular research. What does that tell you? They're making it up. It's, it's made it up. Okay. So again, the danger with this is they say, well, this is the Spirit of God. And, and we just, and, and a lot of people, they'll get into this and they're told that you just keep doing this and you keep doing this. And again, has nothing to do with the get into the Bible, become a disciple. Jesus said, go out in the world and teach them to speak gibberish. No, go out there and make disciples of Methetes in the Greek, disciplined learners, learners of what? Of the Word of God. Get in there, this Word of God. But these people are told to do this and you speak it again and you speak it again. You're gibberish. In fact, you do it for an hour, do it for two hours. And just, it just, it becomes this mindless, mindless, mindless activity. And then all of a sudden they say, man, I just felt so awesome, man. It was just amazing. I just, I felt euphoric and I was crying. I had this vision and all, you know, all this stuff. Well, first of all, you don't gauge truth by your feelings. Because the scripture is very clear. Satan masquerades as what? Angel of light. I'll quote that for you. 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 15. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. So it's not surprising then if his servants masquerade as uh, servants of righteousness. So I don't care if you had alligator goosebumps and, and all that stuff and you cried and you, I saw a vision of my grandma and she spoke to me. Well, first of all, if your grandma is in heaven, she ain't speaking to you. You're in heaven or you're in hell, right? And that's a whole other issue maybe we'll get into later uh, as well. But basically, that's what the gauge. Well, you just don't understand. You can say, listen, the Bible says that it's always been a known language. Okay, and we just saw that you're taking the scripture out of context, trying to have an excuse for the gibberish and saying it's a heavenly language. Okay, but then they'll say, well, you just don't understand. You just don't understand, right? 
I, I mean, because when I was doing that, I just felt that this, the Spirit of God was all over me and I just felt this and I had this experience. And what I'm not doubting that you're having an experience. But do you gauge truth by experience, by your feeling? No. Because again, Satan, he doesn't always show up, do you realize? Satan and demons don't always show up with it. <laughs> and freak you out. Now a lot of times, having been there, done that, wish I wasn't about the t-shirt before I got saved, it is absolutely, I still to this day, I kid you not, you've heard my testimony, I still to this day have not found the adequate English language words, even the string of them together to describe the utter terror it is when demons are in the room and frankly inside you, because I was probably multiply possessed back in the day. Okay, so, so yeah, but he doesn't always do that. And that's how he, it's called good cop, bad cop, right? Right? He'll show up and, oh, that was all, well, that was from the devil because that was all freaky and scary. But this had to be the Spirit of God because I just felt so much love. I never had that kind of peace in my life. Demon can do the same thing. Satan masquerades as an angel of life. Now, it also might be because if you keep doing repetitive behavior, you just got whipped up into an altered state of consciousness. Because we've seen before, okay, you, guess who also does repetitive speech? Hare Krishna's. You know those guys, right? And what do they do? They repeat their Hare Krishna, they repeat their mantra over and over and over and over and, and what happens? Until this becomes my you know what's happening? It's a classic technique. You're getting into an altered state of consciousness, right? Now, that's not the only way you can do it with repetitive speech. You can do it with repetitive movement over and over again. You could do it with drugs. You could do it to the beat of music, right? As we saw before, that's what was our last study. That's what they did. That was your whole thing. Right? And so, I'm not doubting, again, these people that they're with this repetitive movement, repetitive dancing, repetitive even gibberish over and over. You're probably going to have a spiritual experience. That doesn't mean it's from the Spirit of God. Okay? In fact, let me give you an example. We've seen this before in other studies. That even non-Christians... It's this, you look at many, with all the respect again, charismatic services with the music, with the repetitive moving, the repetitive gibberish, and over and over, right? Even the non-Christian religions do the same thing to get people into an altered state of consciousness to commune supposedly with the gods. Here's the New Age and Hindu version, of you will, of what I would say we're witnessing in a charismatic service. Watch this. During these uh, sessions, it's a very strange environment. People speak in tongues, they yell and they scream, they talk in foreign languages. It's like a madhouse, and it's real crazy. Everyone bouncing around on foam pads, flying up in the air. Rajneesh is one of India's most controversial gurus, largely because of his endorsement of shocking sexual practices as a prerequisite for salvation. brand of yoga called dynamic meditation is a new age combination of Hinduism and psychotherapies. This exercise involving rigorous breathing and hyperventilation is designed to arouse the serpent force called Kundalini, which the gurus believe lies coiled at the base of the spine. Phase, the screaming phase of dynamic meditation feels like when you finally had an opportunity to throw a tantrum when you were a little kid. 
By the time you get to the third phase of jumping up and down and yelling who, you're hardly there at all. And so it's pretty hard to remember what happens when you're there. I guess the closest thing I can associate it with is mindlessness. You get to a place where your mind actually leaves your body. Your body's just jumping up and down and your voice from your gut is yelling who, and you're not doing it anymore. You become one with this whole energy. The next phase in dynamic is the quiet space. Someone yells stop, and you've just been doing 30 minutes of intense catharsis. And what happens after being in such incredibly intense movement for so long is just a feeling of peacefulness and stillness. My mind actually stops, and I feel a oneness with the whole universe. Interesting. So what are they doing to get into, get the serpent spirit aroused and take over and commune with those spirits? And I don't know. In fact, let's just do a little parallel in case you've not got it. Uh, the first phase, basically what we just saw, the Hindu followers first began with a form of repetitive movement combined with music, right? Because that's key, right? And uh, for an extended period of time, you know, not five minutes. You've got to keep this going on for quite some time, right? right? Well, guess what? Some church service today, people are repeatedly running around, jumping up and down, swaying back and forth to the so-called beat of so-called Christian worship music. Right. Second phase, we just saw the Hindu followers then start to speak forth a repetitive phrase, a mantra, right? Over and over. Remember, see the guys there? He just, he just became, he didn't use the word mindless. You weren't even there. You checked out, right? Some church service today, people speaking a repetitive phrase, gibberish, a so-called unknown language, over and over and over and over and over. Third phase, Hindu followers start shouting repeatedly, right? Uh, to, to release themselves from reality, right? And then some church service, if you want to demonstrate how spiritual you are, then, you know, start shouting, yelling, and screaming over and over again. Let it all hang out. Yeah. It doesn't matter what other people think. As you're doing that. Interesting. And the fourth phase, the Hindu followers finish this occultic mind-altering procedure with a sudden ceasing of activity so as to feel a connection with the spirit world. Right? Some church service say after in a, a long, procrastinated, uh, uh, activity, repetitive movement, repetitive speaking, repetitive shouting, then all of a sudden they say, be still, and supposedly what you're starting to sense is the Holy Spirit. And you just say, the Holy Spirit is here. Well, I always like to ask, when did he ever leave? Hello, he's omnipresent. Number two, if you're a born-again Christian, he's with you wherever you go. You're his temple. Right? And you don't need to do some sort of an Indian rain dance to make him come back. Because that's really what, oh, Indians, that's shamanism, that's the occult. Interesting. But, but that's what it is. So everybody's in this so-called Christian worship music, and what are they doing? The same thing, dancing with all due respect. Okay, doing this movement over and over again. Just mindless, right? And it just doesn't stop to be this music. On, and I'm talking 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour. And it's just nonstop. And it could be, oh, oh here comes the repetitive speech. Here it go over and over again, right? And then all of a sudden, invariably, somebody that gets up on the stage goes, shh. Holy Spirit is in And what happens is we saw those people, if you're in that movement after that time, and all of a sudden somebody says, Stop! What happened? You're in that altered state, man. Nothing new under the sun. It's being touted as Christianity today. I really think that that's a lot of what's going on. Okay? 
And, and then again, let's take a look at another thing that they want to say. Is they say, well, you, you just don't understand. See, because when we get to this point after you know an hour of this movement and whatever, and maybe they're speaking in tongues, but but there's other things that God does at this time, and you need to realize that they are a new movement of God. You know, if you hear people barking like a dog or roaring like a lion, I mean, that, that's that's a new movement of God in these last days. You don't understand. That's how the Spirit of God is going to move, and it's a sign that we're in the really. Let's take a look at some of that other aberrant behavior after people get worked up into an altered state of consciousness. And let's just take a look. Is it anything new? Are they the only ones doing this? Or is this just the same thing over and over again? Slaying the Spirit. right? You saw that guy. He's, be blessed, be blessed, be blessed. He went right down the line, smacking him on the head. Again, that's nothing new, folks. Slaying the Spirit. Guess what? Hinduism, New Age meditation, Eastern mysticism, African spiritism, they do the same thing. This is nothing new in the sun. How about electric shock? You say, oh, I just felt these jolts going through. That had to have been the Spirit of God. No, every single one of those is carbon copy with those three things. How about physical jerks? No, that's nothing new in the sun. The occult does that too. Animal sounds. You know, again, barking. No, they do the same thing. Hinduism, New Age, Spiritism, things of that nature. Right? Uh, how about a new revelation? All of a sudden, I just God gave me a word to tell you. No, they do the same thing. Where do you think they get their false teachings from? Right? Again, they're going outside the Scripture. Same thing. Energy surge. I just had so much power. I heard one guy tell a testimony after this repeated thing. And he's got in there. All of a sudden, he took off running. As fast as he could, going around, around, around the sanctuary. He wasn't even looking where he was going. He would hit his head on a pillar that was in there. Bounced back, got up, and kept on running. Whatever. That's supposed to be the Spirit of God. Right? Anyway, let's say, hey, oh, that's right. Uh, nothing new. He experienced that in the Hinduism, New Age, and the occult, and all that A static speech. There's your gibberish. I mean, this is a new movement of God. No, as we saw, Hinduism does the same thing. Uh, uh, meditation, you'll get the same thing in altered state of consciousness. Uh, spiritism, trance, same thing. So called vision, same thing. Uh, holy, do you see those people laughing? That had to be a sign. We're in the last days. That's a new movement of God. I mean, God loves laughter. It's got to be from Him. No, sorry. Once again, Hinduism does the same thing. When they get in an altered state of consciousness, when the Kundalini spirit takes over, they start laughing. They start, uh, folks, come on. Again, I'm not here to poke people in the eye. But you're looking down on me saying I'm the one that's not spiritual. You're looking at me saying I'm a fuddy-duddy because I want to study the Bible. In fact, you say for those who study the Bible that that's the problem. That we're fundamental religious people who need to understand real Christianity in these last days. No, it's just repackaged the cult. It's nothing new. The behavior is nothing new. The gibberish is nothing new. Okay? And it comes from the occult. Okay? It's not biblical. All right? Now, again, again, they want to say, well, that's why, you know, it's so different because it's a new movement of God. I don't think so at all. Now, again, by the way, if it's supposed to be a new movement of God, is God going to contradict himself? And here's what I mean by that. Okay? Erase everything we just saw, that this is nothing new. The cult's been doing this for a long time. It still does it today. right? But we saw that the biblical gift of languages has always been a what? A known language. So then why would God contradict himself later in the last days and turn it into the exact opposite? He's not. Okay? And again, that's another issue. That's another false uh, movement as well. Okay, but they also want to say, well, you just don't understand. You just don't, whatever. You just don't understand because they always want to capitalize on this word. It's just new. Right? Anything new, that's why it's new. Because you haven't seen it before. Right? 
And all this is a new movement of God. And what they want to do is they want to put the stake in the ground. They typically will say, because this is a new movement of the Spirit of God coming to planet Earth, preparing for the last days. And it started with the Azusa Street Revival. How many of you guys heard of that? Well, we just saw their behavior. We just saw the gibberish. We saw the so-called visions and trances and electric shock. Is any of that new? No, it's been, it's been around for a long time, way before Azusa. And I believe Azusa was, what, 1906? Okay, is when that took place. Okay, but even then, their own movement, much, again, that's why I said the untold history of the charismatic movement. The charismatic movement doesn't even understand their own history. Because even the supposed gibberish breaking out in America, it didn't even start. I mean, first of all, it's been going on for a long time with the occult, period, number one. Number two, it didn't even start with Azusa. It started before that. And I got it. Charles Parham, he's the one that actually is credited, this is before Azusa, with the outbreak of tongues. And we've seen this before. The first person who supposedly was speaking in this supposed tongue was a lady named Agnes Osman. O-Z-M-A-N. Check it out. Right? Agnes Osman. And she claimed that she was speaking. Listen, in the beginning, she said it was a known tongue. Well, that's interesting, because today you say it's we're supposed to accept the gibberish. So again, in the beginning, they said it was the Acts chapter 2 known tongue, and the language she said that she was speaking when this occurred, and this is all historically documented, was a known language. She said she was speaking Chinese. All right, well, at least you're aligning up with Acts 2. But it's also recorded what she claimed to speak. It was written out. Now, we've seen this before, and I'm not making this up. Here's what she said was the gift of languages, gift of tongues, a new movement of God, and this is pre-Azusa, which led to Azusa. And she said it was Chinese. And I quote, she apparently said, Lazzle, lazzle, loggle, eeny, meeny, miny, mo." I'm not making it up. I'm going to say that again. Lazzle, lazzle, loggle, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. That's supposed to be Chinese. <laughs> so it's all messed up. Right? It's, as one guy said, this is not speaking in tongues. That's lunacy. Right? Now, we'll probably have a whole other study once we get into the historical aspect of the modern charismatic movement, what we would say modern charismatic movement with Azusa, Azusa and moving forward. Okay, but let me just give you a little, what was going on there? Do you think God was behind this? Uh, first of all, uh, there was a guy named William Seymour who attended Parham, the guy where it really started with one of his students, the Agnes Osman. Okay, so that, they even got that wrong. That's their own history, by the way. Okay, but this William Seymour, he got, he, he goes off and he uh, begins to set up um, the Azusa Street Services. Right? So now you're getting into the Azusa thing. But listen to what was going on. Quote, it was Bedlam. Anyone could get up and preach, and everyone did. Nobody stopped you to ask for your testimony to even make, to make sure that you were even saved. Watch. Everyone preached, including local witches and sorcerers, until Seymour realized what they were and then forbid them from preaching. But they attended anyway, and they kept doing their strange worship while the services went on. Everyone preached except the guy who started the services, Seymour. And all he did, quote, was sit down in his head, and I quote, in a crate and shout from time to time, repent. Repent. It almost sounds like Joseph Smith and the hat thing. Remember that? When the study, he'd look at the rock, and supposedly that came to the Book of Mormon, right? As it began to glow. Right? 
Okay? And the one guy says, I dare say that the modern uh, charismatic movement would have been horrified if they really understood that the actions that were really taking place at Azusa, including reports of kissing between unmarried persons during the service, okay, they would flee from this instead of celebrate it. If they even understood uh, their own. Okay? But again, let me just explain to you that this gibberish has never been around. Okay? And that the gift, the legitimate gift of languages, not the eeny, meeny, miny, mo fake Chinese, with all due respect, okay, that's always in the cult. But from 100 to 50, okay, basically you're going from the apostolic, okay, period, right? Uh, right after the death of the apostle John, the last apostle. It is significant that the gift of tongues, the legitimate one, known languages, okay, is nowhere alluded to, hinted at, or even found in the apostolic father. There is no evidence of ongoing the biblical legitimate gift of languages, okay? Early church writers such as Polycarp, Papias, Cyprian, Christostom, Augustine, Origen never mentioned the biblical gift of tongues with the known languages. Why? Because people said because it's been withdrawn. And we'll get into that whole argument, what gifts are in function for today, not cessationism, they call it, etc., and all that stuff. Now, during the first 500 years of the church, the only people who claimed to be speaking in tongues were, guess who? Montanus who was a heretic and it was still gibberish. And he had a new word from God. That's the only people that were doing it. Not the legitimate church. Okay. Oh, by the way, you also had a group called the Gnostics. Okay, the Gnostics were doing that, which you get a lot of some of the New Age movement uh, mindset today as well. And oh, by the way, they're a cult, they're false teaching too. So the only people doing this gibberish thing back in that time frame uh, were people who were not uh, Christians. Okay. Basically, that uh, continued to, after Montanus was pretty much went away, even with the gibberish, it made an appearance again uh, in the late 17th century uh, in southern France. These people came up. They were called the seven old prophets, right? They began to prophesy and experience visions and speak in the gibberish, okay? Uh, also, um, we'll probably get into the history. Uh, there's a group of people who were big at their inception of speaking in gibberish, and they rhyme with, the Mormons. Oh, that's right. It was the Mormons. Okay, I'll get to that in a second. Oh, which, by the way, is a, a, a side note. Do you know also who says that they speak in gibberish? Not just Montanists. Not just um, uh, the Gnostics. So do Mormons. I'll get to that in a second. Jehovah's Witnesses. Catholics. Quakers. Shakers. Seventh-day Adventists. Remember Ellen G. White? We did that whole study. Christian scientists. Mary Baker Eddy. Right? Worldwide Church of God. Remember... Well, wait a second. If you're going to say that Jehovah's Witnesses are false and they're a cult, well, they supposedly speak in gibberish too. How come they're wrong, but you're right? Mormons, I'll get in a second. They, they say they speak in tongues. Joseph Smith was a big promoter of that. Well, how come the Book of Mormon's wrong? Didn't he get a new revelation from God? You see, when you start to say that you got a new word from God, you went outside the Word of God. But you know what you also did? You just cut yourself at the feet. How are you going to witness to the Jehovah's Witness? How are you going to witness to the Mormons? How are you going to witness to the Christian scientists who says that they got a new revelation too? You see the danger of this? On top of, it's not even legitimate uh, as well. Now let me give you some evidence that historically that the Mormons were big in this. I've got the church history magazine in my office, big old giant stack if you ever want to peruse them. And uh, preferably not when I'm in there, I'm trying to study. Uh, but uh, uh, encounters of the early camp meetings and the great revivals, right? 
Uh, I mean, they're just Mormons are rolling on the floor. They put a lot of charismatic services to shame. This is nothing new, folks. Nothing new under the sun. But let me give you some of that. The history of Mormons contains extensive references to the speaking in gibberish by Brigham Young, Joseph Smith, and many others. So their top two leaders were big proponents of this. Right? The practice was soon widespread among Mormons, with many rank-and-file church members, Mormons, believing that they were speaking the language of Adam. That was their excuse. Today, it's the language of angels, a heavenly language. Mormon says, no, it's the language of Adam. That's why it doesn't make sense. Just make it up as you go. And uh, in 1836, the dedication of the Kirtland Temple, the, the dedicatory prayer asked that God grant them, these are the Mormons, the gift of tongues at the end of the service, Brigham Young spoke in gibberish, another elder supposedly interpreted, and then gave his own exhortation of gibberish. Real quick, let me explain that. We're going to, again, we're going to get into this in, in greater detail. Why was there the gift of languages, tongues, but the gift of languages, and why was there an interpretation, an interpretation of the language, tongues? Remember, we're going to see, and again, I'm just going to give you a real quick answer in case you might be wondering. Okay, and we'll get into this in greater detail later, Lord willing. Right? Put yourself in the biblical usage in the early church when this was in function. Right? And somebody was given a legitimate gift from the Holy Spirit, the gift of languages. Let's say we all spoke English. And then somebody all of a sudden didn't do the fake Chinese, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. But it was actually a known language. It was Chinese. And so they began to speak with the tongue, the unknown language, Chinese. Well, what's the problem with that? Remember, the gifts are for the edification of the body. Right? Not for yourself. We'll get into that too. So how does that benefit the body? Nobody speaks Chinese. So what does God do? He gave somebody the gift of interpretation to supernaturally understand the language that they didn't prior understand. This person never spoke Chinese before. Here comes Chinese. That's supernatural. That's from God. That was a legitimate gift. This person never heard Chinese, knew Chinese, but they all of a sudden got the interpretation. Now, why would God want to interpret it? What's the purpose of the gifts? To edify the body. So when the person gave the interpretation in English, if you will, of the Chinese, then what happened? The body was edified. That's legitimate. It wasn't gibberish, and then I'm just going to make up what I think that gibberish was. It never was that. Does that make sense? That's the biblical usage of those two different gifts. Anyway, so many other, and back to the Mormons, worship experiences at the Kirtland Temple prior to and after the dedication included references of people speaking Mormons and interpreting supposed gibberish. In describing the beliefs of the Mormon church in the Wentworth letter in 1842, Joseph Smith identified a belief with the gift of tongues, gibberish, and the interpretation thereof. And the practice of this gibberish by Latter-day Saints Mormons was widespread at that time. Later, they begin to downplay. Oh, wait a second. So, why is yours legit? But if the Mormons did it, it was wrong. Why is we should accept you, but we shouldn't listen to the Jehovah's Witnesses when they do it? Oh, and, you know, the Hindus and the New Agers and the Eastern mysticisms and the shamanism and the people in witchcraft. How come you're right, but the it's all very interesting. Okay. Oh, and by the way, if this really is of the Holy Spirit, again, would you have to be taught how to do it? Here's another thing that goes on. 
Again, I think that the bulk of what we hear is not just gibberish, but people do it because that's how they're told to do it. Watch this. Here's one example of somebody teaching you how to speak in basically gibberish. Watch this. And if you've never prayed in tongues, if you follow my instructions, the anointing is here to do the rest. I can't do it for you, but I can tell you how to pray in supernatural languages. I know you don't know what to say. Make little nonsense syllables up. They're not nonsense. But they're the first words coming out of your spirit. Do it faster. I said faster. I said faster. You can do it faster than that. If I had a gun in your ribs, you'd do it faster. If this is something for which the Holy Spirit gives us utterance, why in the world would it ever be necessary to teach people how to do it? Dun, dun, dun! That's called your common sense thought for tonight. Hey, real quick, uh, let's build on that. That's absolutely right. You know why it's common sense? Because that's, that's good Bible. Open your Bibles as we get ready to close. 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. Now again, this is where Paul begins the discussion of the gifts. Right? And then 13, he says, because you're abusing them, let me back up a second before we go forward. Or before we go forward, let me, let me clarify. Uh, it's all about love, folks. It's not about you. It's about God gives the gifts for the education. And without this love, you're just a bunch of gibberish and clanging symbol. Blah, 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 you know, don't be like the pagans. Then he goes into 14, uh, 1 Corinthians 14 and dispels the abuse that they were doing with the uh, legitimate gifts. Right? But let's take a look there. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And... Um, Let's take a look at verse uh, 7. Now, remember, at the very first, he says, Now, about spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be ignorant. Right? So he, the whole context, this is where he starts getting to the spiritual gifts. Now, he starts to describe them in verse 7. He says, Now, to each one is given the manifestation, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, that each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit, the Spirit of God, is given for what? Yourself, to build yourself up, for self-edification. Now, that's another lie. What are the gifts for? For the common good. Right? And again, that's why you didn't want just somebody speaking in a known language supernaturally. You needed somebody to interpret it for the rest of the congregation so it could be for the common good. Right? So let's continue on. And uh, he says, uh, for the common good. He says, to one there was given the spirit of the message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge by means of the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another miraculous powers, to uh, another prophecy, to another distinguishing spirits, between spirits, to another speaking in different kind of tongues, glossa, language, and still to another what? The interpretation of that language. Now listen to this, verse 11. All these, the gifts of the Spirit, are the work of who? The one and the same Spirit. And, what's the word there? He gives them. Who gives the gifts? The Spirit of God gives them to each one as He determines. Which means you don't need to be taught this. Which means when you get saved, and at the point of salvation you're indwelled with the Holy Spirit, what do you get at salvation? You get the Holy Spirit, you get the gifts. Granted, some you need to explore and figure out what He's gifted you with, right? And prayerfully He'll let you know. Sometimes they're self-evident. That's a whole other discussion. But when do you get them? At salvation. Who gives them? At whose direction? At whose discretion? So what does that tell you? You could pray, you could sing, you could dance, you could jump up and down, you could hoop and holler, you could have somebody, oh, let me repeat after me, repeat after me, do this, do this. Won't make a hill of beans difference. Because they don't come from you. You don't get what you want. He gives them as he will. And that's another thing. But he did mention there a bunch of different gifts. 
Lord willing, maybe we'll start to deal with those next time. What is up with those and what's in function for today, etc. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today that you go to heaven and not hell? Now, before you answer that, let me uh, share with you a couple things that the Bible says. The Bible says that God is holy and that we are not. And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death. We don't deserve to go to heaven when we die. We deserve to go down. We deserve to go to hell. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this problem that we have, that we're separated from God not only now, but we're going to be separated from Him for all eternity in a place called hell. We, we, we don't even want to admit that. So, once again, out of love, God gives us what's called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were God's x-ray, if you will, divine x-ray to, to get us to admit the problem that we have inside that's separating us from Him. Let, let, let's take a look at a few of those of God's divine x-ray. For instance, if you think that you're worthy on your own, you don't need a Savior, uh, you're going to get to heaven all by yourself, then let's take a look at God's test there. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments. The ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. Uh, how many of you have ever told a lie before? Raise your hand. Okay. Uh, if you didn't raise your hand, you just told one. But folks, we've all done that. That makes us a liar. The Ten Commandments, God's x-ray, showing us that we have sin that's separating us from Him. We're not holy and perfect like Him. The Fifth Commandment says this, you shall not steal. Don't ever once take anything without permission. How many of you have ever done that? Well, if we're not going to tell another lie, we, we should all admit that as well. Well, that makes us a thief now. The Bible says that God is so holy, uh, even His name is holy. And that's why the Ten Commandments says, You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And if we're honest again, folks, hey, a lot of us, how many of us have used the blessed name of Jesus Christ? The only name, the Bible says, under heaven, that men might be saved. We've now turned it into a common cuss word, if you can believe that. The Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. The Bible also says, hey, show, you want to show God you're so perfect, you have no sin, then don't ever once commit adultery. And you might say, well, I, I've never done that, really? Jesus lays the standard before us. God looks at the heart. Man looks on the outside. Jesus said, if you ever looked with lust in your eye at another person, you've committed adultery in your heart. That's His holy standard. One more. The Bible says, okay, you think you're so good? Uh, then don't ever once commit murder. You shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I, at least I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible again says that the sin of hatred, wishing someone was uh, dead, is akin to the sin of murder. It's just, if you will, you pull the trigger in your heart. So, so, so how are you doing? That's just five out of ten of God's divine x-ray, by the way, uh, showing us the problem. How are you doing? Not if, but when your time comes, we're all going to stand before God. You will be forced to admit what He already knows. Hey, God, let me in. Let me in. I'm a, I'm a liar. I'm a, I'm a thief. I'm a, a blasphemer, an adulterer, and a murderer. And the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You're not headed to heaven in that state. You're headed to hell. But here's the good news. God said if we would just admit this, number one, then he could fix it. And it gets fixed only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. Jesus said in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 6, He says, I am the way, the life, and the truth, and nobody comes to the Father but by me. Why? Because only Jesus lived the perfect life in our place. And Jesus died on the cross. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be set free. And since we weren't there, and since it's a gift and we can't earn it, we have to receive that wonderful gift by faith. And the Bible says God will pardon us for our crimes, our sins, 
against him. And you could actually see this analogy working uh, in the natural, in the normal world. Uh, we see this actually uh, in the courtroom. For instance, if a person is guilty and, and everybody knows they're guilty, they've committed a horrible crime and, and, and the, the sentence has passed, the judge has knocked down the gavel and says, hey, uh, you are going to jail, you are going to the death penalty for that crime. And, and we know that people, that happens all the time and they go to jail, but believe it or not, did you know there's a way for that person, even though they're guilty, to actually be set free from that crime? It's called a pardon. And the one in authority, the governor, has the part out of mercy, out of goodness, certainly nothing that that person did in jail. They can't undo the crime. It's too late. But out of mercy, the governor could go down there and grant that person in jail a full pardon for their crimes. And by receiving that pardon, the doors come open and they are set free and they're rescued from the death penalty. Folks, that's what God is doing every single day with us spiritually. He has allowed His Son, Jesus Christ, to take the death penalty in our place. He's pardoned us, but a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it. And it's actually been on historical record that there have been people on death row who a governor has gone down out of mercy and extended to them a full pardon, but they've rejected it. And by their own doing, they went to the death penalty. Folks, don't make that same mistake for all eternity. God loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done. All of it. Even the sins we don't even know about. He wants to pardon you and forgive you, but you must receive that by faith today. The Bible says if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you call upon His name, ask Him to forgive you of all your sins, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Please do that now. Please do that today because tomorrow may be too late. Well, this has been Billy Crown of Get a Life Ministries. Again, thank you for joining us. If there's anything that you need, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to contact us. Our information and number and uh, things will uh, pop up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.